This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together as always. And uh, it is a fascinating week. I think I mentioned to you that I've been spending some time in Missouri, in particular over in uh, Springfield with Mike Lindell at his election summit. And I have to say, it's always interesting to be around Mike Lindell. He's an amazing character, amazing. I mentioned on the program yesterday, his entrepreneurial spirit is something that feels so American and so wonderful. Um, He's just a great Christian uh, professor. He's always professing his faith. It's wonderful. Uh, But the more exciting thing about this, and this is what I'm going to talk about in a moment, uh, about this time in uh, Missouri, is the other people I've met. Uh, the not famous people who are really moving and shaking and changing what's going on on the ground uh, in this country gives me a lot of encouragement. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, We have had some extraordinary guests this last couple of weeks. As you know, the uh, Pro America Report is really divided up into four parts uh, each day. One is the wink, what you need to know, and then two interviews, often with authors or newsmakers or journalists, sometimes elected officials. And then the last segment is a segment that alternates between what you can do, we call it uh, uh, the uh, window, what you what you need to do, and uh, and otherwise just kind of wrapping up things. So these four segments, I, I just feel like we've had such a great uh, set of uh, guests and topics, and I've just been energized. So I hope you'll visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up there for the daily email that goes out Monday through Friday, goes right to your inbox at 8 a.m. East Coast time. You won't regret it. You'll get a few key links, a few key stories, and a key insight, which is where we are today. This is where we are right now. What you need to know, the wink. Today's wink is this. What you need to know is, Local action, national impact. That's a phrase that uh, was has been popularized in the last few months, maybe a year or so, by General Mike Flynn. That's who I heard say it. It's not unique to him. I think he's quick to credit other people. But here's how I want you to think about that. And, and you know, I was inspired by seeing uh, Colonel John Mills, a uh, retired Army colonel, uh, intelligence officer, worked in the various levels of government, and uh, he has... In the last two years, two and a half years, he has been uh, out in the community and he has been arguing very intentionally, but on the show, he's talked about his book uh, and he is very clear in what he's talking about that you have to get really focused on the the uh, face-to-face, hand-to-hand encounters in your local community. He is from Virginia. And he will tell you he got to know the election official, he got to know the county clerk, he got to know the county sheriff, all those different things. So that when he needed to become active on an issue, he had an existing relationship. It it, it wasn't like a best pal thing. It wasn't like he became the largest donor to someone. It was that he had established the contact. He established the access. He gained access to get action. That's my phrase I used. I was thinking about this. But anyway, he was there. He was there in, uh, he, he was in Springfield at the Mike Lindell election thing. And he, he was uh, uh, talking about how, uh, what he had experienced. He was, a ta- he was talking about election uh, issues because in his county and in the state of Virginia, he was instrumental in getting them off of the uh, database program, Eric. And he did that by, again, having these relationships and making it work. 
and so very interesting to see him again. But here's where it gets even more uh, compelling. During the uh, conference, the Mike Lindell conference, they had a series of state reports and a kind of report card on how well the elections in each state were doing in terms of accountability and especially transparency and some of the markers that they use. And that was interesting enough, too. And, I, and I, I'm not an expert on the different states' systems, so I couldn't really judge how, um, how the report, whether it was progress or not, very often. Uh, but I know enough about election systems, to, election systems to see what they were doing. But even that's not the most compelling part. The most compelling part is that in every state and a couple of, uh, of the districts, you know, the District of Columbia, I didn't see that one, but uh, Commonwealth, uh, Puerto Rico, other places, uh, there were reports, state level reports from people who were active there, who are active there and focused on this issue. And in the spirit of Colonel John Mills, it, you know, my thought as I watched this was, huh. This is really uh, going to be interesting because these people that are talking have uh, the uh, have both the instinct and uh, the relationships to do kind of what John Mills was suggesting to be able to uh, to be able to uh, have the relationships and therefore call upon uh, the uh, people to get them to uh, move in the direction of at least confronting the issues, at least recognizing the problems. By the way, his book, uh, John Mills' book is The Nation Will Follow. The Nation Will Follow. I want to make sure that I plug that. Uh, the Nation Will Follow. If you, I think it's the nationwillfollow.com or maybe nationwillfollow.org. I apologize. I don't have it in front of me. But if you search for The Nation Will Follow, you'll see it's a kind of step-by-step -step plan on how to make an impact. Anyway, so I watched these people uh, get up and speak in person. And it's extraordinary and extraordinary because some of them have been active in politics in the past. Most of them had not. Some of them had an interest in elections before 2020. Most of them had not. And whenever you draw uh, people and energy towards a set of issues with new faces and new uh, uh, um, um, interest, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of details on what they're what they're talking about doing. And I, I will I will bury the lead until tomorrow when I'll talk more about what Mike Lindell has um, unveiled his vision on what how to go forward. But I will just say this. If more and more people recognize that local action is national impact, I think you can see a real change now. One of the things that I brought up to the group there and I was talking to folks was how do you leverage the. Um, the uh, momentum, if you have 10 counties in a state out of, say, 110 counties that do something, how do you leverage the momentum that the 10 can translate into the others? And how do you mo mo leverage the momentum? It was, it was not just red states where there was all these activists and people excited. It was blue states. It was purple states. It was, it was crossover states. It was not just the states that are uh, safe for one party or the other. It was a real uh, cross-section of the country. And how do you leverage the momentum to, to accomplish two things? One is state-level action, either law changes or uh, state-level um, you know, secretaries of state or election officials. And number two, national action. 
How do you get a, a national conversation going on how to protect the election systems? And I think those two things. And, and what you need to know is I'm optimistic that the energy that Mike Lindell is harnessing is going towards uh, it's going towards those two priorities, making state level actions and laws and making federal actions and laws, because ultimately, in order to establish and reestablish confidence in the election, you're going to have to do something differently at the uh, national level, too. I'm not for uh, a Pelosi takeover like they did in uh, H.R. 1 when she got power. It was a massive, massive grab. I'm not for the incredible election interference that we're seeing from the Biden administration, not just in the prosecutions, which are insane, but also in the use of government and use of the uh, uh, um, cooperation with nonprofit entities and the government and government money to, quote, register voters. And in a lot of cases, and I mentioned this on the show yesterday, uh, the um, uh, there's a study out, which we'll go into more depth. I'm hoping to have the, the author of it on, uh, on how some key nonprofits that got lots of uh, funding were doing voter registration, but they were really doing get out the vote drives for one party or the other. And it doesn't matter which, it's not supposed to happen like that. And more importantly, if it is happening like that, everybody better realize it and adjust accordingly. So uh, my takeaway, what you need to know, is a lot of optimism, a lot of optimism that what's happening in states and at the county level is real, it is directed, it's serious. Um, and the only thing I would say, if I close my eyes at this massive meeting, hundreds and hundreds of people coming and going that are working in their states and there, some people drove in on the pickup truck, some people drove in on a hybrid, some people flew in from other places, all kinds of things, right? Some people look like they had a lot of wealth, some people look like they were farmers and working class or whatever. It was a great cross section. The only thing I kind of closed my eyes and I thought, shouldn't this be what the party is doing? Isn't this what the party should be doing? Not independent, but it is where it is. It is where we are where we are. And what you need to know is I'm very hopeful, very hopeful. So check out John Mills' book, uh, The Nation Will Follow, and uh, see what he says. And, and also go online and check out the Mike Lindell Conference. I would go to the first day of the conference. There was about five hours of presentations, and you can uh, check out what they were doing. So uh, check it out. That's what you need to know. Ed Martin here on the ProMark Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview uh, for a while. We actually didn't have it set. John J. Miller is the director of the Dow Journal Dow Journalism Program up at Hillsdale College. I've mostly seen him myself because he writes in places like the National Review and the Wall Street Journal. Um, he's got a number of books. Uh, the First Assassin, uh, The Big Scrum, How Teddy Roosevelt Saved Football. That's I've actually read that one. And then The Polygamous King, A True Story of Murder lust and the exotic faith in america that one i want to read now so <laughs> welcome uh, mr miller how are you sir i'm excellent Ed. thanks for having me on so uh, you know you're a journalist and a writer so words matter to you what's happening when the wokeness and the sort of misappropriation is easy but just reappropriation of words is happening so regularly in this country you you can't say something stupid or distasteful if it's also happens to cross paths with the wokeness it's a it's extraordinary how this has happened 
to a time of great censorship and cancellation, of course. And sometimes that means self-censorship, but also cancellation by others. And this was one of the great insights of George Orwell and his excellent novel, 1984, which, which many of us, even if we haven't read it, we know about Big Brother and thought crimes and doublespeak. And all these concepts he introduced in that novel, we also think about the telescreens and the surveillance society and so forth. But really the most powerful idea in that book, and for for all the ways that it it prophesized our future, a future that in some ways is here right now with how our phones always know our location and, you know, Alexa always listening in, that sort of thing. His greatest insight had to do with language and the notion that if you can control the words that people use, you can control their thoughts. And it's a it's a complicated idea, and it has more to do with just mere censorship, not just you can't say this, you can't say that, but the idea that if you actually eliminate certain words from the language, it'll become impossible to express certain thoughts, and then people never will think them. And so in the totalitarian world of 1984, he imagines the society in which they impoverish language to the point where you cannot commit a thought crime because you can't even think the words to say the thing. And so that's what we're looking at right now with all of with all of these attempts to, to rule certain words and ideas out of bounds. We're, we're speaking with uh, John J. Miller, again, the director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College and author in his own right, um, at Hey Miller on Twitter. You can follow him there. So with social media on top of that, it's exhausting. It's perplexing. It's anxiety inducing. And it looks like and feels like the business model, whether it's TikTok or the New York Times, is designed, that's the way they get it. They got to get you agitated so you'll come back and try to solve your agitation. And it's exhausting. It sure is. And one of the bits of advice I give is, is if you're getting agitated on social media, it's probably time to get off. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> right. obviously, obviously the, the news of the day and the events of the world, you know, no matter what your political persuasion, you know, things will upset you or annoy you. That's just the nature of life. But if you find yourself getting caught up in minor disputes, skirmishes that turn into wars and so on, you know, get off, you know, turn off the phone and go do something else. Go play with your kids. Go look at a beautiful painting. Go do another thing that is actually healthy. Now, social media is a wonderful tool, but it is what we make of it. Right. And and we can turn it into a cesspool of pointless debate and accusation and recrimination and, and frustration and aggravation, or we can use it as a way to keep in touch with people, a way to get information about the world around us. And you've got to be careful about what accounts you follow, what you take seriously, how you respond to certain things and so forth. So if we use it well, it can be a really amazing tool of information and friendship even. But if you use it the wrong way, uh, it really becomes horrible and, and, and frustrating and, and, and even, you know, terrifying. Oh, again, we're talking with John J. Miller, the director of Dow Journalism Program up at Hillsdale College. I imagine that you saw David Brooks' recent column in which he describes how when he was a young newsman, he, you know, in the newsroom were lots of people that came. And I think David Brooks may be uh, like a Jewish American, but came out of a, uh, I was going to say, you know, Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic, all these different. The, it was a working class environment. You know, uh, Pete Hamill, you can picture the the columnist for the, was it the Daily News uh, in New York? And he wrote some great books, A Drinking Life, I think is one of them. Extraordinary. But you look at it now and journalism, 
at Hillsdale, I think I trust that you teach the guys and gals how to get to the truth and that you care about the truth. Journalism, though, in most of the big places, Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, that are doing quote-unquote journalism, it's not even close now. It's a kind of elite bastion of sort of um, control and influence and condescension. I, I, I don't know how you save journalism with one program. You got Hillsdale, and that's about it. Well, we're doing our best <laughs> graduating some pretty good, some pretty good young people. I will say this about journalism. You know, as a profession, I love it. I, you know, I have no regrets about going into it. I, I really enjoy the work. If you're, if you're a curious person, if you're curious about the world and you like telling stories, there, there's, there's really nothing better. <laughs> what I say about it generally, though, is right now in 2023, journalism never has been better and it's never been worse. The, the worst part is easy to get, right? We're always getting frustrated at journalists. There's just, there, there's incompetence. There's lies, there's ignorance, there's all kinds of things that just make it really bad. And there are writers you can't trust, publications you ought to avoid, and so on. At the same time, information has never been easier to get than right, it is today. Right, right. I mean, if, you know, when I when I first went into political journalism, and this is this is more than 30 years ago, if I wanted to quote whatever the president said in the State of the Union address from 18 months earlier. It's like, what do you do? You know, right. you, where do you find that? You know, you got you got to start calling around. Maybe there's a record of it somewhere. Will somebody fax it over to you, please? You know, that kind of thing. You know, now I can get that in 15 seconds. My point is, if you're a journalist who is a truth teller, you can get reliable, accurate information very easily right now. And it makes it much easier than ever before to acquire this information and share it with readers. And so you see that actually in a lot of journalism. And there's great journalism going on right now. There are publications that you can can read and trust, and you just need to know what they are and and, and find them. Well, and but if 30 years ago, when you were first getting in the business, you would have said, wow, if I could get on the evening news, if my story was so compelling, got on the evening news, three channels, it would get a ton of attention now. And and that maybe that was a gatekeeper that we didn't recognize at the time. Now, the gatekeepers that can kind of amplify your truth are are they seem to be left almost exclusively. Well, I don't I actually I actually disagree with that. OK, good. The, you know, the, the the nightly news shows were so powerful. Right. Um, a generation and more ago. You're right that like the most important people in the country for news were uh, Dan Rather, Tom Brogan, Peter Jennings. Yep. And, and what they decided was the news was the news. And of course, they were turning all the time to the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post to decide what is the news. That was at least center leftists making those decisions all the time. It was riddled with liberalism. Right. And when I went into the profession as a young conservative, you saw there were, there, there were only a few places that could make the news. There were all these gatekeepers and it was dominated by liberals. And we, we yearned for a time when conservatives would have greater access to the news. Right, right. And you know what? We got it. We actually, in some fundamental ways now have the world that we wanted back then. And what I mean by that is those shows are no longer important. I mean, they're mm-hmm. important. They matter. But they're not what they were. They're not even close to what they were. Right. And instead, you have this proliferation of of political sites of many different views often announced ahead of time. I mean, the, you know, the Washington Post probably still pretends that it's a, you know, a plays it, you know, is objective and so forth, even though it's not. But if, if you look at just conservative websites, I mean, back back in the back in the day, there was only National Review and like the Wall Street Journal editorial page and maybe a few city editorial pages around the country. Right. But now you've got 
the Daily Wire, the Daily Caller, mm-hmm. the Daily Signal, the Daily Everything, right? Uh, Washington Free Beacon, these, these really great sites with, with different strengths and weaknesses, but, but all these avenues for, for yeah. getting the news out and for telling the truth from a conservative perspective. Those things did not exist. Yeah. They could not exist years ago. We have them now. It can be frustrating that sometimes the stories we care about that we think are important have trouble breaking through into a, into a wider audience, but we've never had a better chance uh, uh, than, than we do now to have that happen. You know, I'm and I'm glad. Uh, thank you. I'm out of time, unfortunately. John J. Miller, uh, thank you. Hillsdale College, uh, and I think that's helpful. The way you just you explaining that for me, uh, the frustration we have is uh, a frustration that's in some ways positive. So I've got to take a break, though. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, another one of the good ones. Pro America Report. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, writes a weekly column quoted frequently by uh, Donald Trump, as uh, Mike Lindell calls him. Uh, the what, is it, what does he call him, John? Real president. The real president, Donald Trump. Or pre- He has a great phrase, a great way with the phrase. But anyway, um, John Schlafly, of course, writes his column. I go to phyllisschlafly.com. They're archived there. Uh, John and I were talking offline. I am down at the uh, Mike Lindell uh, conference on election integrity. And uh, John, you know, we I didn't get to see Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas. He did not was supposed to come, did not come. I guess there's other things happening in Texas he needs to focus on. He's in the midst of this um, impeachment in September. It will come to a head. He'll have some sort of uh, trial. You and Andy wrote a column on the subject and I was texting you about it. What, what's your sense on this, John? What's the uh, what's the importance of Ken Paxton in the in what's happening in this country? Well, first of all, Ken Paxton is a great conservative hero, and he has brought, he's been the leader in bringing cases by the state of Texas before Trump appointed judges in Texas primarily, which have, uh, which have brought the Biden administration to heel on some important issues of law. I mean, he's doing great work, and the idea that some enemies in the state legislature have launched this surprise uh, impeachment on the last day of the legislative session, and then the legislature immediately adjourned. I mean, it was a cowardly thing. And unfortunately, I think uh, the governor, Greg Abbott, was involved in that, although I can't pinpoint exactly how. In any case, Ken Paxton is going, is, it must face trial uh, under the rules of the Texas Constitution before the state Senate. And Soon, we've got to watch that. You know, all of conservative leaders in the country who are fearless, who bring effective legal cases, and uh, you know, the whole nation. Of course, Texas is the biggest conservative state. Right, it's been under, I would say, weak leadership. Either. And we just the people in other states have to pay attention to that. You know, John, I think you've got to dust off that column, you and Andy, and and maybe write a couple times about this, because even when I was saying I like Ken Paxson, you and I met him uh, a year or two ago when we were down there. I like his the fact that he's been fearless uh, for Trump and and on election stuff. He was willing to talk about it. Uh, But you just said it better. I mean, on a whole a lot of a lot of attorneys general 
could do a lot more if they wanted to. They'd have to litigate and they'd have to fight it out and they'd probably lose some and they're, and they're politicians. Ken Paxton has gone into court in Texas multiple times on the, on, on, on specific policy matters and made a difference in the national, uh, policy arena. That's a big deal. I mean, you know, Missouri was blessed with uh, Eric Schmidt, the now senator. He took on some f- tough fights too. He jumped in there. That was good, but you're right. And, and I think we need to really highlight that. I think that's much more important than people realize because if you watch what's happening in this country and i want to slide to the column on this now john we're talking to john schlafly you know um they're making it pretty hard to do the right thing without paying a big price and i i suspect some of the reason why ken paxton is not finding as many allies as he's taking on these forces is because you know some of the uh, republicans are not that interested in fighting against the federal government against joe biden because they can make a deal and they can make it work and they just don't want to do it so you know then that's what we're seeing across the country and you, you know you highlight at the beginning of your column we're talking with john schlafly uh the case of governor bob mcdonald uh, bob mcdonald of virginia who basically was brutalized in court by jack smith and took years to get his his uh, acquittal and uh as the late ray donovan labor secretary of ronald reagan said when he was acquitted on the steps of the courthouse what office do i go to what room number do i go to to get my reputation back Exactly. And of course, by the time uh, Bob McDonald won at the United States Supreme Court in a unanimous vote, nothing, there was a vacancy, uh, his career was over. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and there's no doubt that the lawfare that's being brought against Trump right now is an attempt to, you know, sideline and end his political career. I mean, you, you, and and people like Mike Pence who say, oh, well, Trump is innocent until proven guilty. He needs to have his day in court. You know, he needs to cooperate with the process. No, because all of that means the end of his political career. And that's a much bigger thing than the ridiculous charges that have been brought against Trump. The big issue is that Trump is a candidate for president and the judicial system cannot be allowed to interfere with that because the American people are right now selecting uh, our presidential candidate to run against uh, Biden next year. And uh, all these court cases are going to have to step back, step aside and get out of the way while the American people select our next president. Um, John, um, let me ask you a question that I brought up yesterday or the day before, and then I heard someone bring up uh, at the Mike Lindell conference, I'm at the election, and he said something like, where are the lawyers? And you yourself are a lawyer. Uh, your father was a prominent lawyer. Your mother became a lawyer, obviously prominent. You got siblings that are lawyers. But even I'd say, John... At a certain point when you were not practicing law, you, you went on the status of the bar. You said, well, I'm not going to hold myself out as a practicing lawyer the same way. I'm going to have this sort of uh, uh, re- inactive retired status. You know, there was a the system of the bar was a, a sort of quality. You you were uh, all of us were of a certain quality and and it was beyond uh, team play. It was beyond partisan play. And yet we're watching where are the people objecting to the to what's happening to our legal system? It's the crown jewel of America to have a legal system, the Constitution, the rule of law. And for a couple of centuries, 
it has been protected by, you know, warriors who were members of the bar and they're quiet, aren't they? It's extraordinary. Yes. Yes, that's true. And now, to be fair, and, you know, uh, many uh, people, many of your listeners probably have had a to uh, have been into the court system. And people are sometimes dismayed when they see the lawyers yucking it up with each other, telling war stories and acting like they're all one big fraternity, one big you know, on the same side, because, you know, typical person in court, they have one case and they're right. and The other guy is wrong and they do not like to see that kind of fraternizing. But the truth of the matter is that all lawyers, uh, you know, proudly can, you know, have this tradition that they can take any side of any case and uh, argue within the balance of the law. And yet when it comes to Trump, uh, all the legal establishment has said that any lawyers who dared to represent Trump cannot be allowed to do that. And there's they've all been assaulted by trying to get their legal license removed. And mm-hmm. some of them are still pending. Formerly, fortunately, Sidney Powell managed to beat that in Texas. But Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman and uh, Jeffrey Clark and others are still facing that kind of assault on their legal license well and john but john but john but john, but john but, but john i want to say you know john adams who later became the president young lawyer he represented eight of the british soldiers soldiers accused of murder during the, a boston riot one of the massacres and and later and what was acclaimed and was a great president my point is actually further john where are some of the lawyers I mean, Dershowitz doesn't agree, voted for Hillary, voted for, I think, voted for Biden. He's not a Trump voter on issues, but he says this is wrong. But many, many, many lawyers are silent in the face of clear system breakdown. Yes, that's right. And Dershowitz, you know, he said just yesterday, in fact, that he said, you know, if you can't uh, protest, in fact, Dershowitz said yesterday that he believe that the 2000 election was stolen from Al Gore and that he wrote a book making that case and he still <laughs> believes it. Yeah. And he, he reiterated that yesterday. And uh, so, uh, you know, that's Dershowitz. Of course, Dershowitz has been shunned by his own liberal friends. And he has said that when he goes shopping in Martha's Vineyard, yeah. his former friends turn their backs to him yeah. because they're so indignant at how he has said a nice word about Trump from time to time. Yeah, it is extraordinary moment. Uh, John Schlafly, thanks again, John. As always, if you go to uh, villageschlafly.com, you'll see John and Andy's column. Uh, it is archived there. This week's is called Delusional Jack, referring to Jack Smith and Democrats haven't learned. And it lays out how they keep thinking that this is a way to get Trump when, in fact, it solidifies Trump's strength as a candidate for the Republicans and also as someone who is targeted by the system. And I think it's a good column and it's right. So thank you, John, as always. Uh, we've got to take a break. We're up against a, a, a break here. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Travis Lore is an average kid who became an unfortunate casualty in the war on woke. As a graduating senior at Kellogg High School in Kellogg, Idaho, Travis was to take part in an assembly where he was to give advice to the underclassmen. Departing from his pre-approved remarks, Travis said that, quote, boys are boys and girls are girls. There is no in-between, end quote. Reportedly, Travis's remark was met with vigorous applause from his fellow students. 
However, the woke ideologues at the school were not happy with Travis's threat to their power, even if it did come in the form of a simple statement backed up by all of history, a wealth of scientific research, and common sense. Because of his remark, Travis was quickly barred from participating in his own graduation ceremony. This sent students and the community at large into an uproar. More than 100 people protested outside the school in favor of Travis. And this included a school bus driver who was quickly fired for protesting. Fearing that the threat to their power would grow further, the school announced that they were postponing the graduation ceremony, but they secretly held the ceremony anyway to avoid any negative attention. While these underhanded tricks are bad enough, the course of Travis Lohr's life was permanently altered just because he had the courage to stand against radical transgender ideology with simple facts. Travis was set to begin a path to his dream career working for the U.S. Forest Service. However, his job offer was revoked by his would-be supervisor, who is also married to a teacher at Kellogg High School. The case of Travis Lohr is a sad commentary on just how low the left will go to punish those who do not adhere to their radical dogma. What once was, we just want to be left alone, has quickly turned into, we want you to celebrate our depravity or else we'll ruin your life. Travis deserves to be praised for standing up for the truth, not punished. Yet if these shenanigans can happen in rural Idaho, they can clearly happen anywhere. Will your child be the next one punished for challenging the left? This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Political correctness is no longer simply about restricting speech. This tool for tyranny has led to employees being fired, pastors silenced, small businesses closed, and truth suppressed. Thankfully, the politically correct can't censor the work at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you, at phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height and... Mason Mohan. We are going to come and fill in briefly here for Ed. And we wanted to tell you about something very special that's coming up here, September 15 through 17. What are we doing here in St. Louis, Mason? Eagle Council number 52. That's right. The 52nd year of Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Council. We've been doing this for a long time. And uh, I tell you what, this is, in my opinion, one of the nation's premier grassroots action conferences, leadership, uh, conservative issues. Uh, Man, there is almost no better place to come and get an up-close view at some of the issues that face uh, those of us in the conservative movement uh, than there is at at Eagle Council. You'll have a better opportunity there than a lot of other places. You could go to the big ones out in D.C., which, Mason, you and I have done a fair amount of these kinds of things, and you don't get close to the speakers. You're in a big crowd, giant stage, really far away. It's fun, but it's not the same kind of up-close learning from these folks feel and, and getting to really – those are the workshops where you get into the into the weeds with people. But to be able to do that at a big-name conference with big-name speakers uh, like Eagle Council, that's really cool. Right. It's so, a much more intimate experience than you'll get any, anywhere else, actually getting to interact with these people and work on their ideas with them and, uh, you know, be really up close and personal, you know, and it's, uh, it's not something that you want to miss at all. We're going to be covering lots of great issues with lots of serious speakers and thinkers on these topics. And, uh, it's, it's just all around going to be a great time. 
Yeah. We're going to, and of course, this is Constitution Day weekend, September 17. If you didn't know it, mark that on your calendar for a personal family celebration. Uh, that is Constitution Day here in the United States and something that we ought to celebrate a lot more than we do. So, of course, we're going to be talking quite a bit about uh, citizenship and uh, the Constitution, what those mean to us, uh, and not just the federal Constitution. There's going to be a lot of discussion about state constitutions when it comes to uh, local issues and education and not just what's going wrong and who we don't like and what we don't want to do, but we need to be talking as conservatives about the solutions. What is the right way to go? How do we go about that? And then when we go and, and make this change, stop doing something we ought not to do, what then do we need to do in its place? What is that plan? And that's the kind of thing we're going to talk about at council. So uh, September 15, 16, and 17 here in St. Louis. I'll remind you again. And uh, where do we go, Mason, to find out everything? EagleCouncil.com. There are a lot of perks and the benefits. Right now, we're running an early price. Uh, it is $250 for the whole weekend. That's everything, all your meals, all your sessions, everything included. And uh, it is, in fact, at the St. Louis Airport Marriott, and they have a guest rate for us. Uh, let them know you're with the uh, Eagle Council Conference. And there will be a special guest rate that does take uh, quite a few percentage points off if you just go and try to book a room, uh, by my uh, estimation. So uh, go to EagleCouncil.com. Uh, we, we got a lot of speakers, so that's that's something that's constantly changing. Go to EagleCouncil.com to see the latest uh, speakers that we've announced. One that we're particularly excited about, though, we're going to be focusing a lot on the family and uh, and saving the American family, what's happening to it, uh, what we can do to protect and preserve it. And Ma Mason, who's coming uh, to celebrate with us this year? Tiffany Justice, Moms for Liberty. She's going to be giving all the important details and the happenings of what's going on in American education, the pitfalls, uh, the way it's harming the American family and what we as Americans can do to help it to get better. Uh, and we're all, I mean, we're going to be covering grassroots activism, localism, yeah. working on the local level. You know, you look at the history, Phyllis Schlafly's history, the ERA fight would not have been won without grassroots activism. And that's something that in the age of the internet, we hear a lot less about, but that's something always important. It's still important. It's going to be important going forward. That's going to be a big topic we're going to be covering here at Equal Council 52, yeah. September 15th through 17th. You will find when you come and, and do our events that um, not only are we going to cover the things that need to be covered. We're going to be talking about immigration, about education, about uh, pro-life, pro-family, family courts, uh, all of these different things. But throughout all of these is going to be woven through what you and me, what um, we the people need to do about it. Because I know that is one of the things that so much discourages us often is, well, what does my one voice matter? How does this actually work? Well, it is important. It is incredibly important because it is all of our one voices combined that make up this kind of action uh, that speaks to people in power, that changes the waves and the directions of power in this representative republic. We got problems, but it's still a representative to public, uh, republic. It's, it's not gone just yet, and it's still worth fighting for. So you will find all of those uh, themes woven in, even when we're crossing over multiple different issues uh, that are facing us. So this is going to be an exciting year. Uh, this is going to be a big one. 52. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, Mason, like you said, Moms for Liberty, they're they're really like riding the forefront of one of the waves that I think has woken up the American populace and this new um, wave of either getting your kids out of school or exercising new oversight on your local school board. That has become a lot of uh, uh, an issue on people's minds. And Tiffany and, and her co-founders and different people at, at Moms for Liberty mm -hmm. have really 
grabbed a hold of that wave and ridden it to get people to organize and do something. Um, I mean, this is what Phyllis Schlafly did, to your point, against the ERA in the 70s. And uh, Tiffany Justice was inspired for Phyllis's child abuse in the classroom, which, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the 40th anniversary of child abuse in the classroom, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, that's that's something that we've been talking about. So it's something to look forward about that, that uh, we, by participating in these conversations and uh you know, coming to Eagle Council and uh, enjoying these discussions with us, you get to celebrate this tradition that's been going on of conservatives exposing the wrongdoings of the American education system, right? And uh, standing up as citizens to defend ourselves. Yeah, and I've I've got the I've got the copy of the book in my hand right now. Child abuse in the classroom. We are coming up next year on the 40th anniversary of this book, and, and I mean, it shows you, you know, these issues don't go away. These are the same issues that we keep dealing with, and great people like the giants of the conservative movement, like Phyllis Schlafly, have been there and done that before we need to learn from them band together learn from each other and move forward as we the people that do something so come to eagle council there's no better place for you to be this september 15 through 17 like mason said go to eaglecouncil.com uh but as for that we will wrap up the show there uh thank you mason and uh, thank you to me ed always thanks us so we'll thank ourselves but thank you to ed for being a wonderful host uh for noah uh, who was our wonderful technical director that keeps us all uh, on time and thank you to you for listening to the pro america report thank you so much and we will talk to you tomorrow on the pro america report In the meantime, go to ProAmericaReport.com, find all the segments, and we will look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.